says, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Those words may sound familiar to you. That's because they are engraved on the most iconic statue of our nation, and that is the Statue of Liberty. And these words, they recognize the human condition. They recognize the, the reality uh, that our world has this habit of tearing people up and kicking them to the curb and leaving them feeling just like, exhausted and wrecked and seeing everything through the lens of tragedy. Have you been there? Of course you have. You've been there. I've been there. Give me your tired. And every parent goes, here, I'm right here. I'm right here. I am the tired one. Give me your poor. And those living in California start to go, I think I'm, I'm headed that direction here with the way things are going. Give me your huddled masses yearning to break free. And some are saying, you know what, that, that's me. A lot of people don't realize it, but I feel so trapped. <laughs> Just trapped in this job, trapped in this family, trapped in this financial situation, trapped in this this ever morally declining society that I find myself in. Some even say I'm trapped in this marriage, and I'm trapped by these destructive habits. I'm just trapped. And for those that can identify, you need to know you are not alone. Do you realize there are countless millions who have gone before you and have experienced those same kind of feelings? Do you realize that some of the most renowned, significant Faith-filled people have found themselves in the depths longing to return to the surface. Moses said, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? And Joshua cried, alas, oh God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? Shall I go on? The prophet Elijah. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. We could go on and on. There's King Hezekiah. There's Job. There's Jeremiah. Of course, King David. There's Jesus himself. Isaiah the prophet describes him as despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that brings us to where we're at this morning in Acts chapter 18. And there we find a man who has really been going for it. He has not held anything back. He's been giving it his all when he was doing his Jewish thing. He referred to himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, I, am, I am the epitome of a Hebrew. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Look at me. I, I'm, I'm going all in here. And then the day comes where he encounters the risen Savior on a dusty road, and he does a complete U-turn, and he goes from persecuting Christians to now promoting Christ by proclaiming the good news of Jesus to anyone who would listen and to many who wouldn't listen. And you would think that for a guy like Paul, 
who is so passionate and so caught up in doing the things that, that God wants him to do, that, that he just go on and on and on. He keep going and going and going, like that Energizer bunny, right? They, they don't tire, doesn't get down, doesn't ever find himself out of gas and in the rain and stuck on the side of the road. And that, yet that's not the way it works. It's just not the way it works. Those who are followers of Jesus, they are not immune to exhaustion, are they? Not immune to, to disappointment, discouragement, or even fear. Even those who are burning bright, maybe especially those who are burning bright, can find themselves burning out. And someone says, how can that be? <laughs> how can God allow this to happen to these people? Does he care about them? And we say, yeah, of course he cares about them. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because we know that what? He cares for you. He cares for us. In fact, not only that, Paul himself said in Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? I do. Okay, well, well if that's true, then it's not a matter of if God is going to care for us when we're burnt out or when we're discouraged. It's a matter of how he is going to care for us and whether or not we will recognize his care and allow it to supply our souls the medicine that they need. Look with me at Acts chapter 18. We'll take a look at how God cares for this battle-weary warrior. Acts chapter 18, verse 1 says, After this, and then we stop right there. we got to recognize, what, are, what is this after? It, Paul has just left Athens. He left the Areopagus, and remember what happened there? He was speaking to the philosophers, passionately proclaiming the words of God, and they laugh at him, and they mock him. After that. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. We're going to stop right there. Okay. Corinth is about 50 miles west of Athens. We said last week that by Paul's day, this had replaced Athens as the epicenter of commerce in the land. And that was in large part due to where it was situated. You see it's situated right there on this isthmus. And that is a narrow stretch of land that connects this large Peloponnesian peninsula with the mainland. And so as far as shipping and transit were concerned, this is the place where you want to go. If you're sailing from, from east to west, west to east, you don't want to make the 200-mile journey around the peninsula. Instead, what you would do is you'd come to Corinth, and you would have your boat hoisted out of the water and set up on some sort of rolling device and make the four-mile haul across the land. This is before there was the channel there. Four-mile haul across the land by sheer grit and force, you get to the other side. This was the way to do it. Pretty cool, actually. And that created a unique situation for Corinth. It was a bustling place, like I imagine San Francisco used to be back in the day. Money constantly changing hands here. People constantly coming and going. And as you might assume, all kinds of mischief happening in Corinth. What do they say about ships that pass in the night? Or what happens in Vegas? On top of that, you have perched up 1,500 feet up 
overlooking the city, the temple of Aphrodite. This is actually a picture of a video game. (laughs) (laughs) The temple of Aphrodite, known as the goddess of love. And every night as the sun set, about a thousand of Aphrodite's priestesses, they make their way down, down the hill, and they call to all who will listen, come, worship with us. By engaging in certain, shall we say, relations with them. This is where Paul's at now. (laughs) He had gone from idol central, the place where every god under the sun was worshipped there in Athens, to now the debauchery corridor of the Roman world. And not only that, he had just come from this discouraging encounter in Athens. Not only that, he's alone. He's not with Timothy He's not with Silas. Any of his traveling buddies anymore because he was whisked away from the city of Berea when those Jews from Thessalonica came down and started causing trouble again. They whisked him away to Athens. He's on his own. Now he leaves Athens. Now he's in Corinth. Have you ever been alone? Maybe you've been around hundreds of people, but you felt alone. That's not a good place to be, is it? In fact, God says it in, in... In Genesis chapter 2, it's not good the man should be alone. What kind of effect did that have on Paul? Boy, we could only imagine, right? No, we can do more than imagine. Because Paul makes it clear what he was going through. He tells us in his letters. In fact, in, in his letter to the Corinthians that he wrote later on, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, a letter which he wrote while he was staying in Corinth here, he says that he's in distress and affliction. And then later on in our passage this morning, we're going to see that he was told not to be afraid. When do you have to be told not to be afraid? (laughs) When you're afraid. I think it's safe to say that Paul was hurting. It doesn't mention it here, but there's a good chance that he was hurting physically. I mean, how long does it take to recover from being badly beaten with rods as he was in Philippi? But you know what we're going to see is that God provides for Paul, even in this low time, this land of deep Darkness, and I'm confident that God provides for us as well. Look with me at four ways that God cared for Paul, and my hope is that we will have a better idea of how to identify God's provision for us when we are worn out and we are weary. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, now we're moving on. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, Paul may have felt lonely when he went to Corinth, but he wasn't alone for long. God's going to bring people into his life. God brought this couple into his life. Now, it's likely that Aquila and Priscilla were already Christians before they even met Paul. By the time that Paul writes his letter to the Romans, even though he'd never been to Rome, there was already a church there. The gospel had spread there. 
And uh, what's more, the reason uh, that Aquila and Priscilla may have been um, Christians is part, partly, in, we, we think, because of the fact that they're in Corinth to begin with. They're there because the Jews were kicked out of Italy by the emperor. Now, 70 years later, there's a Roman historian, Suetonius, and he would write about this whole expulsion from Italy. And he says that it was the result of the Jews rioting in Rome and, and in Italy because someone named Crestus was instigating something there. And scholars think that that Suetonius, 70 years later, actually got the name wrong, and the name really is Christus. It's Christ that was causing all the commotion there. As God's word came to Rome, the Jews there, just like they respond in Thessalonica and so many other places, they are up in arms. And the emperor says, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing this. And he kicks all of the Jews out. And as a result... Priscilla and Aquila now find themselves in Corinth, now find themselves with Paul. And so Paul meets this husband and wife team, and they have something in common. If they, if they didn't just have Jesus in common, they got something else in common. They have the same trade. They're both tent makers, original makers of camping gear here. And since tents were made out of leather, they probably made all sorts of other leather goods as well. And so Paul's able to stay with them. He's able to work with them. Oh, what a comfort that must have been. And on the weekends, when he wasn't working, well, he found himself in the place where he'd always found himself, in the synagogues, proclaiming Jesus to Jews and Greeks. And not only did God provide Priscilla and Aquila to Paul, but Silas shows up. And Timothy shows up. God brings comfort to his servant through the people, the people that he brings alongside of him. Who are the people that God has brought into your life? And have you ever thought of them as one of the ways that God was working to care for your soul? Interesting, isn't it? Sometimes the very, the very means of comfort that God provides for us is the very thing that we isolate ourselves from. People, get them away from me. Sometimes when we're hurting, that's true. When you and I are discouraged, we're suffering. Those are the times we need to remember to move toward rather than away from other believers. When you're down, sometimes the hardest place to be is right here at church. Isn't it ironic? It's ironic that the best place for you to be is in fact the place where you want to stay away from. I wonder if the enemy has anything to do with that. Because that's the place where God wants to minister to your soul. As you bump up against brothers and sisters who have the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit working inside of them, maybe just moving them to walk your direction and say, how you doing? No, I really want to know how you're doing. You know, this is one of the reasons the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24, says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. What is the day that's drawing near? Well, it's the day of Christ's return that's drawing near. And what did Jesus say about what days are going to be like as the day draws near? Well, we go all the way back to our study in Mark, and we go to chapter 13, and remember that Jesus said, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You'll be beaten in synagogues. Paul could relate to that. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Yeah, living in, in the day that's drawing near to the day that Jesus is returning, that's not going to be easy. And that's why Hebrews says, keep meeting with your fellow believers so that they might encourage you. They might build you up. They might keep you pressing on in the work that God has called you to. They are a gift to you. Friends, the people that God has placed in your life, in my life, are a gift. We can't step away from that. They're God's provision for us. These days, people treat church like it's a fast food restaurant, don't they? They're in and they're out. <laughs> they're here when they feel like it, and then they go somewhere else when they feel like something a little different. And that's not the way that church is supposed to be. That's not the way we're supposed to be living as believers, part of this new community, this new family that we have been adopted into. Here's what happens. If you keep skipping around from one place to the next, then you're missing out on the provision that God has given you for those, those close, committed relationships to be of help to you in your time of need. We need to be identifying the people when we're feeling low that God has given us. Secondly, we need to identify the progress he's accomplishing, God is accomplishing in our midst. Look at this. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So for a period of time, Paul was uh, providing for himself as he was tent making. But then Timothy and Silas show up, and Timothy and Silas bring him something. They bring him a gift from Philippi, in fact, we learn of this in 2 Corinthians 11.9, a financial gift that now allows Paul to step away from tent making and just do witnessing full time. What an encouragement that must have been. He's preaching to the Jews. Christ, verse 6 says this, and when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out of his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. That's not the encouraging part we're talking about here. <laughs> In fact, this is another one of those discouraging moments, isn't it? And once again, he finds himself rejected by the people. Jesus hit the nail on the head in Matthew 18, or 13, didn't he? Or Mark 13. It's just going to get worse. And Paul shakes the dust off of his garments, as any Jew would do as they left Gentile territory. We mentioned that a few weeks ago. It's kind of like saying, we so don't want to have anything to do with you, we don't even want to carry your dust with us. And in fact, Paul takes it a step further here, and he says, your blood be on your own heads. Kind of like saying, you had your chance, I did my job. 
And that might sound a bit cold. And certainly, it, it's easy for us to become callous and unfeeling when we've been rejected time and time again. I can think back to my dating days. <laughs> it's a very cold time. <laughs> so glad those days are over. One of the phrases that we learn when we're kids uh, so very quickly is, so what? I don't care. <laughs> so what? I don't care. It's the way we shake it off, the way we just tell ourselves, we're all right. I don't, I don't need to worry about whether or not you approve of me, you like me, you're fond of me. So what? I don't care. But we need to be careful, very careful here. As Paul is shaking the dust off, as he's saying, your blood be on your own heads, we need to be careful not to superimpose that kind of flippancy on Paul. Because the reality was, this is a man who cares deeply, deeply for his fellow countrymen. In Romans 10, he writes, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is the Jews, is that they may be saved. That's, that's my heart's desire. In Romans 9, 3, we, we learn a little bit more. He says, I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul cares so deeply for his fellow Jews, the ones who are rejecting him, time and time again. He says, you know, I, I'd even... I even go so far as to give up my own salvation for them. Can you imagine yourself saying that? Who would you say that for? Who would you give up knowing Christ and knowing that you have full assurance of going to heaven someday for the sake of them going? That's Paul's heart here. So we got to recognize, as Paul steps away, imagine the discouragement that he is experiencing as he walks away from yet another synagogue where more Jews are saying, we don't want what you're peddling must have been gut-wrenching. I would have been asking, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why, why won't these people get on board with your plan? This is the kind of question that churches ask when they continually give themselves to, to people or, or to their community, and they, they share the good news of Jesus uh, time and time again with people, only to see the people show up for the free food or the, or the concert or the bounce houses or the whatever it is, and then never show up again. It's the kind of experience that parents have after they've sacrificed for their children. They provided everything that their kids ever could have possibly needed. They pointed them to Jesus only to have their, their, their children turn on them and give them the finger and accuse them of, of, of oppressing them, of accusing them of wrecking their lives. It's the kind of feeling maybe you've experienced when you, you've poured into a family member or maybe a good friend and just so desired that they would turn their heart to Jesus after all the effort that you made, you're still just as closed as ever. That's deflating. So deflating, so discouraging, so exhausting. But here's one of the gifts that God gives us. It's the reality that even in those moments that we see as a major setback and like no progress is being made, he is working and he is doing something. And we need to learn to keep our eyes open and searching for the way that God is working. Yes, God desires that none should perish, that all should be brought to repentance like 2 Peter 3.9 says, but there are other metrics that he's looking at to measure success. 
right? Like maybe developing maturity in his people. Like maybe leading them to rely upon him more fully. Like maybe moving them to more faithful obedience. Maybe teaching them to love one another more sincerely. When was the last time you searched the scriptures to find what God really desires? You find yourself in places like Micah 6.8. He's told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Could it be that when you're experiencing the depths that God is working to develop, to produce some sort of blossoming of the fruit of the Spirit in your life or in the lives of others? We look at places like Deuteronomy 6. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you were going over to possess it. This is what Moses declares to God's people before they enter into the promised land. And it says this in verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, generations, who want to fear the Lord, by keeping all his statutes and commandments. He goes on, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Are you feeling burnt out? Stuck, maybe discouraged, asking where God is, what he is doing? Maybe he's at work teaching you to revere him, to love him, love his people calling you to share the good news of Jesus with someone else. You know, looking back on some of the darkest moments of my life, they were pretty dark. But I can now see clearly how God had not abandoned me. He was accomplishing some of the most significant, transforming works in my life and in the lives of others around me. In our dark moments, you and I don't need... <laughs> to be looking at all of the discouraging things that get us down. We need to be on the lookout for the progress that God is accomplishing in our midst. Look for the metrics that he cares about, not just the ones that you want to see come about. In Paul's case, the Jews were rejecting him, devastating. And yet un 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 other unexpected people were being transformed. Verse 7, and he left there, went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. That must have irritated those who were still going to the synagogue. Then it says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Was progress being made? Was God accomplishing his purposes? You better believe he was. What a shocking thing it must have been to, to see the head honcho of the synagogue himself have his eyes open to Jesus. Must have been encouragement to Paul. We've got to look for what God is accomplishing, not just the progress we want to see. Third, we need to identify the promises that he has revealed in his word. Look at how God encourages Paul next. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, 
For I have many in this city who are my people. Can you imagine how encouraging it would be in your dark moment to hear from God himself? What does God tell him? He says, first of all, he gives him a command. Keep on keeping on. Keep on speaking. Don't give up. Don't give in to fear. Second, he reminds Paul, I'm with you. My presence is here. Third, he promises protection. No man will attack you to harm you. Finally, he draws attention to the fact that God has many people in this city. And this wasn't something that Paul already knew. He's not talking about the people who already trusted in Jesus. He's talking about the many people that God has in that city, that God has marked. These ones are mine. These ones are going to come around. These ones are going to cross the line of faith in the near future. This is huge. What an encouragement. It's exactly the encouragement that Paul needed. In fact, we know it's the encouragement that he needed because verse 11, it says, he stayed. He stayed. Remember, he left Athens. They laughed at him. He left. Some said, you know, we're going to hear you again on this. He's gone. Here he stays. A year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Man, wouldn't it be amazing if you could hear God speak to you when you find yourself in a low spot. What an advantage Paul had over us, right? Oh, wait. (laughs) We have his word right at our fingertips. You have his instructions. You have his promises. His assurance of the good things he has in store for you. His call to keep on keeping on and preach Christ to your world, right? You know, laying in your PJs and gnawing on blocks of cheese or chocolate and binge-watching garbage television is not the place to be when you are feeling burnt out. Not the place to be. It's hanging out in the deep end of his thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying, spirit-replenishing word. That's where we need to be. And we say, you know, I'm so depressed. I'm so discouraged. I'm so deflated. I can't get up early. I can't read. I can't pray. Really? Test him in this. Test him in this. Get up an hour earlier. Grab the cup of coffee or tea and get in the Word and watch Him give you the energy you need to make it through the day. I'm not speaking hypothetically here. I'm speaking from experience. My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We need to be identifying those promises that He has made to us. Guess what? That's exactly what the enemy wants to keep you from. You're discouraged? Go watch TV. Not where we need to be. We need to be identifying the promises. Finally, we need to be identifying the provision he's made for our journey. For Paul, the attacks, they, they, they keep on coming, his direction. Like, like so often it feels like our struggles, they keep coming at us like waves that are just beating on the seashore. But God said he was going to protect him, right? Look at verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, 
the Jews made a united attack on... Wait a second, what? The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Here we go again. What did he say? No one will attack you to harm you. Okay, next verse. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if this were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Then they all seized Sosthenes, the rulers of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. (laughs) Does God work through people who don't even know him? Yes, he does. In this case, it's the indifference of this Roman official that stopped Paul's opponents right in their track. Is, is God working in this man, Gallio? Yes, he is. Instead of Paul getting beaten, they turn on their own synagogue leader and they beat him. Has God ever protected you? Has he ever delivered you from trouble? So often what we do, what I do, when I find myself on the other side of trouble is I just move on and await the next trouble that's coming my way. (laughs) But it's so important that we don't take the rescue that God provides for granted. we got to recognize it. we got to let it encourage our hearts. we got to let it propel us to praise. The longer we live... Seems the easier and easier it gets to look at the glass half empty. We look at our lives and we see them as just one problem after the other. It happened just this past week. I'm driving on the freeway with, with Melissa and I got cut off for I don't know how many thousandth time. And I said, that's, that's what life is. It's just one injustice after the other. And it's true. We could look at life that way. The disciples, they're walking along with Jesus. They could have looked at life this way. You just imagine that the sun's coming up and their eyes start to, to crack open. They're rubbing them. And then the first thing on their minds could be, what kind of trouble is Jesus going to lead us into today? Because that was the pattern, right? That's what was happening. But if their eyes were in the right place, and if they had gotten to know who this Jesus really is, their focus shifts away from the trouble that is awaiting them. And it focuses in more and more on the incredible ability that Jesus has to get them through every single one. Friends, walking with Jesus should leave us more in awe of him. rather than bemoaning the journey with him. We wake up each morning and we say, today is the day I'm going to follow Christ. But in the back of our minds, sometimes there's that, this is hard. What's going to happen today? Here at Bethany, the past five half years I've been here, it seems like it's been one thing after another 
after another, challenge after challenge that meets us, difficult conversation after difficult conversation. And it's so easy, I'm talking about myself now, it's so easy to get jaded and discouraged and to not trust in the one who is proving Time and time and time and time and time again, I got this. When are you going to start looking at it as an amazing journey that I have taken, on, taken you on where I am going to give opportunity after opportunity to show you how incredible and faithful I am? You know, it's kind of like a roller coaster that you strap yourself into and you just feel completely terrified. Whenever I took kids to Magic Mountain, which sometimes three times a year back in the day, I strapped myself into the roller coaster. You pull down the handlebars, and this was before they had the little seatbelt clip that came up as a secondary safety. I pull those things down and I'm pushing on it. Is this thing going to stay? Is this going to stay? And I look at that thing and I look at what's coming ahead and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to stay. This thing might flip open. I could already picture my dangling ragdoll body just flipping and flopping, and I'm going to hit that and that and that, and I'm gonna, there's not going to be much left by the time I hit the ground. It's like a roller coaster ride you strap yourself into, and you're terrified. The first unexpected drop, the first G-infusing turn, but then you're given a little bit of time and a little bit of experience, and that fear starts to transform into excitement. Friends, we don't know what's around the next corner. Is it a drop? Is it a turn? Is it a flip? Is it a loop? Is it a heart-pounding rush? We don't know. But if we come to see how God faithfully provides for our journey, what could easily be terror turns into an opportunity to trust. We need to learn to identify God's provision and to hold on to it. Do you have a Google calendar or some type of calendar where you're logging the ways God's come through? I've started one. I need to look at it more. Lamentations, it's not one of those books in the Bible that we go to very often, probably because it's a lament. Who needs another downer, right? Chapter 3 starts us off in the depths. Maybe you can relate. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He's driven me and, and brought me into darkness without any light. Boy, it's easy to feel that way sometimes. Surely against me, he turns his head again and again the whole day long. Sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> sometimes it's the worst of the worst. We're, we're tired. We're run down. We, there's no more gas in the tank, and we're ready to just say, you know, I think I'm done. And those are the moments where we need to turn our eyes in the right direction and identify the good things that God is, has done and is doing. Lamentations goes on in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Are you feeling like burnout is just around the corner or maybe you're experiencing it right now? Our world uses that term burnout as an excuse. Well, you just need to step back. You just need to disconnect. You just need to cut everything else out and 
recover. You have an excuse to just crash and burn. It's almost like bankruptcy. If you're feeling burnt out, start to identify the people that God has placed in your life to care for your soul. Start to identify the progress that he's accomplishing. Maybe it's a little different than the progress you wish would be there, but it's progress nonetheless, and he is unfolding his good plan. All history is marching in one direction, and that is back towards him. You need to identify the promises that he's revealed in his word. Everyone else is telling you, everything inside is telling you, go somewhere else. This is passive mode you need to be in because you need to rest and recover when what we really need is to reflect on the promises. Search even for the promises he's given us. And we need to identify the provision that he's made for us. Amen? Lord, we come before you this morning. In many cases, probably in most cases, Lord, this morning, a bit exhausted, a bit beaten down, a bit discouraged. Lord, maybe even like Paul and a bit fearful. Who could blame us? (laughs) And yet, Lord, you are good. You've called us to yourself. You've hoisted us out of darkness and into the kingdom of your marvelous light. You have given us a hope. You have given us a future. What's more, you are working in our midst. You have grafted us together with these other believers, Lord. We are not alone. You are constantly, continually working. Yes, the challenges keep coming, Lord. That is just reason to look at you as all the more glorious because you overcome again and again and we know that you have ultimately overcome and the victory you accomplished as Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We continue to look to you, to trust you, even rejoice in you in these times that we are living in. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone says, amen.